I said I was done with the series, and I was wrong. And I know you're all shocked, because I am so rarely wrong, but this is one of the rare occasions. Also, if you are watching the live stream, we are doing something different with our microphones this week. If the microphones are better or not noticeably different or whatever, let us know, um, because I really can't hear it from here. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, just let us know what's up with that. It's, uh, we got some equipment we picked up and more on the way, and hopefully uh, we will have all that nailed down. Um, before I dive into the text, I wanted to talk about um, something I've observed this last week, and I, I guess I'll use one thing in particular. I, I, I read a, a Twitter post. Um, it was an older one, and it was a screenshot, but it was from uh, an author, uh, Stephen King. Some of you all may have heard of Stephen King. Um, he, he wrote a book. Um, like 40 years ago, entitled The Stand. And The Stand is about a disease that wipes out most of mankind, and then God and Satan fight over the remainders. And it's, it's an interesting book. Um, but right in the beginning of this, this coronavirus virus stuff, he, he had heard all these rumors that coronavirus would be like The Stand. And he, he posted on his Twitter account, hey, it's nothing like that. Um, this is eminently survivable. It, just be safe, just take precautions, just be smart. You know, we'll all get through this. It's not going to wipe out all of humanity. And, and somebody responded, how do you know? Did you even read the book? <laughs> and it's, you know, of course, you know, an international bestseller, one of like 50 that he wrote. And, you know, there's been several movies. I mean, like there's, there's very little, you know, and, and but, but it, thinking about that, I've been kind of thinking about it all week, and I, I've got it kind of tacked up. In my, uh, in my phone so I can look at it because it, it made me think how often it is um, right now that we're seeing folks question authority or pick authorities that they like. You know, I, I, you scroll on Facebook or you look at Twitter or you talk to people and, and you know, oh, I heard there's going to be a vaccine this week and, oh, I heard people are drinking bleach and, oh, I heard this and, oh, I heard that. Oh, I heard it's all a hoax and the New World Order is taking over. Oh, I heard that it's you know, not a hoax and we're all going to die and there'll be 50 million people dead by Christmas. And I mean, like, I, am I, I'm not making it up, right? Like, we've all seen this, especially since none of us have anything to do right now except hang out at home and look at Facebook, apparently. Um, and, and we're in this weird time where people are picking the messenger and the truth that they want because they're desperate for something to hold on to. Because, like, the whole world is sort of tossed on edge, Right. People can't go to work. Um, people are, are actually dying. People are sick, you know, and you can't touch things in the grocery store or you might die. Or your neighbors are crazy and this is all blown out of a... I mean, everybody's got a different line and they're all saying it at once and nobody's listening because people are scared and they're looking for good news. They're looking for something. Some people are even looking for bad news so that they can be right. Um, we are looking at the book of Acts and I'm going to talk about here, I'm not just talking in an unrelated way. This is going to connect. Give me half a second here. When we look at what's going on in the book of Acts, um, right there at the beginning, this sort of um, period of time, right in that first century AD, um, the people of Israel were um, desperate for something. And um, messiahs were not unusual. There were people who led uprisings. There were people who came along and said, I am the Messiah, and then, like, got killed and disappeared. Um, Or people who, you know, gathered up people around them and said, I am the next 
you know, Judas Maccabee, let's go and fight a war. And, you know, then they'd go and fight the Romans, and the Romans would slaughter all of them, and that'd be the end of that war, and that Messiah didn't do that well. And, and like, there were all these rumors and talks and, and things. It was a powder keg of, um, of people looking for something. And, like, they were in a time when the religious system, um, in a lot of ways, was, was failing them. Like, people would go to the temple, and the Sadducees were best friends with the Romans, who were the enemies of the Jews. And, like, like there's all this discussion of, well, you know, hey, why would I do this? Or how do I get around this? And, and, you know, what are we supposed to do about the Romans? Why hasn't God overthrown these people? Why would God allow his chosen people to be subject? Where's the Messiah? When's he coming? And that was the word on everybody's lips was Messiah. God is going to send someone to fix it. And everybody had a different opinion of what that would be. And amazingly, none of them were right. Um, for everybody's and I suspect that's not an unusual condition in mankind. We're almost always wrong about everything. Um, so as we get into this section of the text, um, a little background. We have been looking at the story of the Bible as it built up to the cross. Um, that was before Easter. For the weeks preceding Easter, we looked at how the entire Old Testament was like this blinking neon light pointing at Jesus coming. And like the whole of scriptures is like an hourglass, right? Like everything points to Jesus. There are all these stories and all these like rituals they would perform. And like, like everything in the Old Testament is about Christ. And you just have to scratch a little bit below the surface and you find it. You find Jesus in all of these stories. And then after that, Christ comes and he dies for our sins and he carries the weight of our transgressions. Every rotten thing any of us have ever done, Christ carried on the cross. And then he was raised. And we started talking about the resurrection and what the resurrection means to us, what it means for our future. And we talked about the ascension last week where Christ ascended into heaven. And we are going to pick up in 2.14 immediately afterwards at Pentecost. Last week's message, we ended where, like, the Spirit of God came down on the people and they spoke in tongues they didn't know and there was fire coming out of their mouths and everything else. There's about 120 people there at the time, like, um, the core group. And um, that is where we're at. Like, we're at this this, um, point where the book of Acts is about to explode. And from this point on, the entire Bible is the opposite. It is a big, flaming neon arrow sign that points back to Jesus. And so when you listen to a message, when you listen to a sermon, this is a guideline, and if you hear me fail in this, I want you to tell me, um, and if I don't listen, punch me in the face. You have my permission. (laughs) Um, All of it is about Christ. If you hear a preacher get up and talk about the gospel, but they don't mention Jesus, they don't mention his death for us, his resurrection, and the free salvation that we receive by having faith in him, they are not preaching the gospel. Everybody with me? Like, that is the baseline here. The gospel is what it's about. And so as we dive into this, we are going to see the first sermon of the gospel delivered by Peter, who just a couple of chapters before was kind of simpering and complaining and whining and crying because he had screwed up real big, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is on him, and he gets up and he preaches, and he preaches, preaches in a way that, you know, I think most preachers would love to have this kind of, this kind of energy or fire about them, like this is it, um, but it's the Spirit of God moving through him, which is what Pentecost is like, where the Holy Spirit is poured out on the world. Um, so, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, 
Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. Um, All right, so these people, like these Jewish folks, these pilgrims and these people who are citizens, saw the disciples, saw the, 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 the followers of Jesus speaking in other languages, and they're like, oh, my gosh, these people are drunk. What are they doing? And then other people are like, well, how are they speaking my language? Aren't they from Galilee? And it, basically the idea there is if you were in West Virginia and you ran into a guy who spoke fluent Latin, it might shock you, right? Or I'm not going to make fun of the surrounding towns. I'll be good. Um, <laughs> um, so he says, listen, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. And there's actually a wordplay joke in there I, I read about, but it, I'm not going to digress there because we're running late. Um, so I'm, no joke for you. Um, <laughs> So he continues, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he begins to quote Joel. Last week, we talked about this line from Joel as probably part of the reason the apostles were like, hey, Jesus, you've resurrected. Shouldn't you conquer the world now? Because a lot of people read this and they assumed that in the last days, like it was a common thing amongst the rabbis at the time, they would say, this passage from Joel is talking about the last days when God pours his spirit out, and then kills all the bad guys and sets up Israel as the heroes of the whole world. And so they're all waiting for this moment, and Peter gets up and he quotes the passage that nobody understands, which is their Facebook coronavirus moment. Everybody thought they knew what the passage was and what it meant, but none of them got it right because they're standing in the middle of it happening, and they don't recognize it. Everybody knew it backwards and forward. You had to memorize it in school. Like, like that, was, that was it. They knew it, but they didn't know it. So the quote from Joel, I'm going to need my glasses because it's a really small print on my tablet. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, now watch this. This is cool what he's doing here. He is citing this passage that everybody knew, and there's sort of an apocalyptic tone to it, right? Like, hey, the sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, and there'll be billowing smoke, and all of this other craziness. And, like, a lot of people would read that and say, oh, yeah, when God comes and the world ends and he sets everything right. But what they're missing is that as Christ hung on the cross, the sun went dark, right? The moon was turned to blood. There was smoke and fire, and there was a last day that came. And like Peter believed, and a lot of the early Jews, or a lot of the early Christians believed, and actually I'm going to suggest, not I'm going to suggest, I'm going to say it, this is the last days. And it's the last days in the sense, not that like the world is going to end tomorrow. Got it? Um, The last days, what they didn't understand was the last days is all the time from the ascension to the return. This is the time when we have to hurry Because Christ is coming back. And there are a lot of people that are going to stand before him in judgment that aren't going to be able to to say, I belong to Christ. I'm clean. I am holy. I belong to you. I'm forgiven. And they're going to have to answer for their stuff. And it is going to be a nightmare for them. The last days refers to the last movement 
of God's grace. Like, like the covenants are all like laid out, and now is our time. We have to share the gospel. We've got to tell people about Christ. The days are numbered. Like, this is it, guys. Um, these apocalyptic signs happened when Christ was on the cross, and now here we are, and the Spirit's been poured out on the world, and we're here to spread that Spirit, to spread the gospel. Um, and it is not a small deal. Now, real quick, there's another really cool thing here. Um, just hold on to those. Um, young men will see vision. I'm sorry. Uh, even, I can find it. Uh, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Now watch this. Um, one of the things that we often mistake about wonders and signs is they're not Christmas. Okay. <laughs> Like, we like to think that. You know, I, I read this all the time. Well, why doesn't God just heal this and make my life happy? Wonders and signs are not Christmas. Christ's healing was wonderful for the people who received healing, but it wasn't a Christmas gift. It was a sign, right? If I was driving my children to Disneyland and I stopped at a billboard on the side of the highway and said, guys, it's a five miles to Disneyland sign. Let's hang out here. All the fun of the Magic Kingdom and none of the cost. Or children around. Or $8 Cokes. I, I think they're like $12, aren't they? I've never been to Disneyland. Um, <laughs> I, that would be crazy because the signs aren't Disneyland. You know, if I'm driving down the highway and I see Big Sandy, home of the world's largest tractor, and I stop to hang out by the sign and say, look, I've been to the world's largest tractor. No, I haven't. I saw a sign that told me about it. Every sign you see, the speaking in tongues like that happens here, it's a sign that the Spirit has come. It points to a larger reality. It points to a truth. Um, that's why a lot of these guys, these charlatans who go on TV and say, oh, I'm going to perform miracles and heal people so that you can send me money. And if you send me money, I might heal you. That's garbage because the gospel isn't about that. The gospel is about salvation through grace by faith in Christ alone. Um, the truth is, I'm sorry, I'm like really energetic today. Um, too much coffee. The truth is that um, those signs pointed to the fact that Christ had died for them, that the Messiah had come and they had missed it. And we're going to go on to the next verse where Peter basically points out. He doesn't basically point it out. He just points it out. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. So like all of those signs and wonders you saw that you were all super impressed by. Remember when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Remember when he made food for 5,000 people? Remember when he came here and healed people in the temple? Remember when all this stuff happened and you saw it? It was pointing to a truth. It was pointing to the truth that he was from God. Um, meaning you saw him, you heard him, you saw what he did which God did among you, so you saw it as you yourselves know, like you all knew what the truth was. This man was handed over by you, to you by God, sorry, I'm going to read that wrong, was handed over to you by God, uh, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. So Peter says, listen, that man showed up. You saw his credentials. You saw the signs that pointed to the truth of who he was. And then you gave him to the Romans, had them execute him. Like, I know you're all here hearing us talk. You know you, what you saw. You know what the truth was. You saw him. You knew who he was. And you killed him. Now, I'm going to 
Quickly pause here. There's an enormous amount of silly, nonsensical controversy over, like, did the Jews kill Jesus? Because there are folks who will come along and say, the Jews killed Jesus is an excuse to hate Jewish people. In reality, every time I sin, I killed Jesus. Every time you sin, you killed Jesus. You know why? Because it was our sin that made it necessary. It was God's plan that he would be crucified. The folks who were there were hard-hearted. They were dead inside in their sin, the same as you and I are. And they handed him over to be killed so that they could be saved. Christ died for the people who, who killed him, for the people who denied him, for the people who spat on him. Christ died for those folks. And he died for me. And he died for you. And so it doesn't matter who killed him. Except in this context where, like, he's talking to the people who actually killed him. Um, and he's saying, listen. That man you killed by nailing him to the cross through the Romans, like through these wicked men. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Um, There's a cool phrase there that gets lost in English translation, and I really want to draw this out. The agony of death, right? In um, the original language, what he's saying here is, the birth pangs of death. Isn't that weird? Like, I have never given birth. I have watched my wife do it twice, and I am convinced that it is the most horrible, painful thing in the entire world. I make fun of it. I know I do. I'm an awful person. I do things because they're funny, um, or I think they will be. Um, In reality, like this birth pangs of death, um, he uses this phrase because by that death that life is birthed into this world right? Like you and I, we only have life in Christ because Christ birthed that life through his death on the cross. Like, um, it's only by a seed falling to the ground and dying that life comes about. That's, uh, which, which Christ said in an illustration for us guys, there's only by Christ's death. There's only by his pouring out his blood that we have life. It's not because I'm good. It's not because you're good. It's not because we memorize the most Bible verses. It's not because we do our devotions every morning. None of that stuff. If you do all of that stuff and you don't know Christ, you are a dead person doing stuff to keep yourself busy, and that's it. Only through Christ, only through Christ are the dead raised. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Um, So he's told these people, y'all killed him, but God raised him. David said about him, now this is uh, from the Psalms, right? Oh, golly. Uh, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. This is from the book of Psalms. Um, you will not let, my, let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now watch this. So David is saying this in the Psalms, and um, he's saying, listen, my body won't know decay. My body won't like, be condi- con- like, abandoned to the realm of the dead. My body, like, like, I will never die. I will always be alive. Um, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. So David said all of this, and if Scripture is absolutely true then David was either wrong or he wasn't talking about David. Got it? Because David was dead. And the really cool thing that you can miss 
the upper room, which is where this sermon was likely taking place, is on the south side of Jerusalem, okay? Um, it is also right next door to where David was buried. And so he's quoting David, and he's pointing at David's tomb, and he's saying, look, David said he would never decay. David said he would never die. David said that he would live forever. Look over there. David's dead. Like, he's super dead. And if you don't believe me, go open it. You can see him dead. Like, he ain't, he ain't alive still. Um, David did not live forever. Um, David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. Here to this day. I'm sorry, when I heard that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. He was, I stood in that room, and I was like, oh, you can see it. Um, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Now, this is important. Peter is not saying that this psalm proves that Jesus was raised. He's saying, we saw it. But David knew it was coming, and David prophesied about it because – actually, I'm not going to use that particular text um, – because when God made a covenant with David, right, because there's this thing called the Davidic covenant, God promised – he said, listen, David, one of your descendants will always, always, always be on the throne of Israel – will forever be on the throne of Israel. And Jesus was one of his descendants. And Jesus was crucified. He died and he was raised because, um, because, because death couldn't hold him, really. David saw that. David said, hey, he will not be abandoned to the grave. He will not be, see decay. He will sit at God's right hand. Um, and David saw what would happen with Christ. And so what Peter is saying is, Jesus is that person David was talking about. Jesus is that guy. And um, David wasn't. David died. But we've seen that Christ was raised. We've seen that Christ, like, like, he's not rotting in the ground. The other cool thing is, this is in Jerusalem. By the way, this is a quick side note. This is in Jerusalem, meaning this is the place where Jesus was buried. And this is just a few weeks later. If, if, De, you know, Peter's standing up and making up a bunch of nonsense. The Sanhedrin, who later like arrested him, the, the Jewish authorities, all they had to do to ruin the Christian like church and movement was like go dig up the body, drag it out, and say, "Hey, look, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Here's his body." But you know what they didn't do? They didn't do it because Christ was risen. Um, Christ had raised from the dead. Like the church started where it was most opposed, and it caught fire there. Um, so Peter says, we were witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. And so what Peter says is, Listen, the Holy Spirit you're seeing right now, it is a sign, and it is a sign that Christ is at the right hand of God, and that God has given him the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is being poured out. And we know that it's happened now because the Holy Spirit is being poured out. And so Christ died. Christ was raised. Christ ascended into heaven and was glorified by God. Um, and is there until the time comes that he needs to come back. 
Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So there's this thing that we see during the Reformation. It's this idea. The proper delineation of law and gospel. Which is a Martin Luther thing, I think, was the first one to, I, I recall having heard this. And that is that there is the law. The law exists just to tell you that you cannot make it to heaven on your own. The law exists exclusively to convict you of your sin. When he is talking to these guys, he isn't saying all Jewish people will be hated forever or you guys are super in trouble now or anything like that. He's saying, listen, you got sin on you and you got it on you in a big way because you're responsible for the death of the Savior. You're responsible for the death of the Messiah. You're responsible for turning on God's chosen one. And again, don't feel all high and mighty, right? Every time I covet my neighbor's stuff, every time I don't trust God, every time I take glory for myself, every time I look lustfully at somebody I'm not married to, every time I hide secrets in my heart and lie about it, every time I, every time, every time, every time, I'm nailing them to the cross too. Every one of us. Our sin Christ crucified louder than the mob did. There's no way around it. So he has convicted them, and they are terrified. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, what shall we do? Um, if you're sitting here listening this morning, or if you've heard the law and it has cut you to your heart, or if you are a person who lives your life trying to be good enough to make it to heaven, trying to be good enough for God to love you or for your neighbor to love you or for you to be worth something at all, understand, like, it's a fool's errand. You will never, ever, 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 ever earn it. You can never follow the law good enough. You can never... Like call back the stone you threw at your neighbor. You can never undo the gossip you've said. You can never like undo your, your wickedness. Like you can't undo it. And if you find yourself in that spot or have found yourself in that spot where you're like cut to the heart and you're saying, hey, what do I do about this? What do I do? Am I, am I in trouble? As Paul said, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so he says, Listen, repent and be baptized. What does repent mean? Repent means turn around and go the other way. Change direction. It means look at your life, recognize that you got sin, and say, God, I'm done with this, and turn. What if I continue to struggle with sin? Then you continue to, you continue to stumble over the natural inclination to mess things up. Our sinful nature still affects us, and we still mess up our words. We still mess up our actions. We still mess up our heart. But I'm still forgiven. In Screw up over and over and over again. A hundred times I can fail. And actually in my life it's probably like ten gajillion. But ten gajillion and one times Christ will forgive me. Because I can never earn it. 
And so repent and be baptized, meaning turn around, call on the name of Jesus and be forgiven. Have faith, and you are given this gift of forgiveness, this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift of new life, this new life that Christ birthed on the cross. And so if you are cut to the heart, or if you've been cut to the heart and tried to forget it, or tried to drink it away, or tried to look at pornography to make it like not seem so bad, or tried to, to pretend that you were going to earn your way to heaven, or if you spend all your time comparing yourself to that wicked guy over there, because I'm better than that guy, and I'm going to heaven because he's not, know this. Call on the name of Jesus. Have faith that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah promised, that he died for our sins, that Christ rose, rose again, and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And by his blood, by his wounds, we're made clean. It's only by faith in Christ. That is all of it. That is all of it. This translation is kind of funny. This is the ESV. For all whom the Lord our God will call, um, there are... It's often rendered, um, for all who call on the name of the Lord. (laughs) Um, With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so Peter preaches this sermon. He says, listen, all you have to do is have faith in Christ. All you have to do is trust in him, and you are forgiven. Turn around, go the other way. Belong to him and you're forgiven. My encouragement for you this morning, my challenge for you is this. We want to make Christianity more complicated than it needs to be, right? If you're hearing me talk today, do not, um, and, and the Spirit's talking to you and the Spirit's nudging you, don't say, nice story, Eric, but I got nothing else. Nice story, it's a cool thing to hear. It doesn't matter now. It's not a nice story. It's a life jacket when you're drowning. It's a rope when you're hanging about to fall. It is the only thing that will save us. Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. So if you're hearing me talk today, understand only in Christ will you be saved. Only in Christ. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. You will never be good enough. But God loves you anyway. Christ died for you when you were his enemy. And it is an amazing, amazing gift. I'm going to close in prayer and, and my challenge to you as we pray, like, call out to God. If you already knew this was true, say thank you. You say, Eric, I've heard this sermon before. If you've heard this sermon before, thank God that you heard it. That you weren't like the, the folks who were hearing Joel and coming up with their own message and meaning. Um, hear Christ has died for you. Hear that you're saved in him. Heavenly Father, I pray that everyone who's hearing us today, everyone who hears the word preached, everyone who hears, you know, and is crying out in their heart like a small child for you to save them, I pray that you would pour your spirit on them and bring them to repentance. Lord God, Paul told us whoever confesses with their mouth, believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord is saved. Help us to know that it's as simple as that, just to know Christ, to follow him, to turn, repent, be baptized and be brand new. Thank you so much for the grace, for the mercy, for the love that you give us in Christ. Amen. Have a good day, guys.